Well, hey guys, welcome to the College Age Movement Podcast. We are in part eight of our summer series entitled Mark, and this is going to be our last week uh, in this series, and uh, it's just been so good to walk through the Gospel of Mark and to pull out some different stories and how we can apply them to us today. Last week, we talked about Jesus and his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, we talked about how the disciples were called to pray, called to wait, called to keep watch, but instead they fell asleep. And we talked about how we can so often get into these moments that we think that our waiting is unpurposed and that we need to be people who wait with purpose, that God is working on our behalf in the waiting, that we can work in our waiting so that when the opportunity arises for whatever it is, uh, that we would be people who are well prepared. So we need to grow in the waiting. And uh, we talked about the crucifixion, and and I want to end this series in talking about what happened after the crucifixion. So Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 4 is where we're going to start. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. So the first point this week is sometimes you have to figure it out on the way. I love that every gospel has different verbiage about the same story. Uh, in this one, we see that the women were asking the question, who is going to move the stone? And uh, there's a couple things that I want to point out here. One, they were already on their way when they asked the question. They knew that according to custom, God had asked them to anoint the body, but they didn't come up with excuses as to why they couldn't. They didn't say, "No, well, we can't. We can't anoint the body because there's that huge stone in the way. Uh, who's who could possibly move that?" No, they set out to do what God was asking them to do, and then on the way, they were like, "Oh yeah, there's this stone that is going to need to be moved." And for us, when we know that God is asking us to do something, I think the call would be for us to just start be people who start moving towards it and allow some questions to get answered along the way. There's nothing wrong with being prepared. There's nothing wrong with getting answers uh, to questions that we may have, but we shouldn't let it inhibit us from moving towards that which God is asking us to participate in. And I think that one of the reasons that we can have confidence in just simply moving towards what Jesus is asking us to do is this, is that he goes before us. He goes before us. Jesus answered the question before it was even asked. The stone was already moved before they got to the point of conflict. They didn't get there, try to move the stone. They couldn't do it. They're like, well, how are we going to do this thing? No, by the time they got to the tomb, the stone had already been moved away. Now, I'm not saying that God is going to just do everything for us, but sometimes he will move the stone before we even get to the point of conflict. And sometimes he will provide the way for us to move the stone. I always think about something <clears throat> that happened uh, about three years ago. We were taking our second trip to Guatemala uh, as a team for College Age Movement, and uh, we had an incredible trip, spent a bunch of time down in Guatemala helping um, in some remote villages. <clears throat> and on our way back, we got caught in a, a hurricane. We landed in Houston from Guatemala, and then there was a hurricane. And uh, they wouldn't let any planes take off. So we actually sat on the tarmac for a while. We sat in the actual airport for a while, like all these things. We finally get to Denver and we missed our flight from Denver to Billings. And it's Memorial Day weekend. There's 17 people on the trip. Like it is just chaos. And so I go up to the counter and uh, I'm not really good at being stern or at like trying to like, I'm just, I'm just very, very nice when it comes to customer service. I spent 10 years in the restaurant industry. So I have a hard time uh, with, with, 
customers who are straightforward, but my, my wife's like, Hey, people need to get home. People were trying to get to weddings the next day. People had to go to work, all this stuff. She's like, you just need to be stern and try to find a solution. So I went up, was really stern with them, just like kind of stood my ground. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, we'll refund your tickets from Denver to Billings. And I was like, that's awesome. 17 people, plane tickets, we're talking thousands of dollars, felt really good. But then I walked away from the counter and I was like, but we're still in Denver. We're still stuck here and people need to get home. And it's, like I said, Memorial Day weekend. And so... We're like, let's go to a car rental place. And so we go, the line's out the door. It's 1130 at night, almost midnight. And uh, we finally get up to the counter and the guy's like, hey, do you have your registration number? And I was like, oh, well, we don't have a registration. We're hoping to just get some cars. And he's like, oh, you like, you guys are kidding yourselves. Like it's Memorial Day weekend. Every single car in our lot is booked, registered to somebody else. And I was like, okay. And he's like, well, let me just check. He's like, how many of you are there? I said 17. And he started to laugh. And he's like, okay. And then he like types into the computer. He's like, hold on just a second, walks back. And he comes back kind of shaking his head and he goes, this is crazy, but we have three vehicles that are only allowed to go Colorado, Wyoming, Montana. They have to stay in those three states. And the total seats available between the three cars is 17. So we get these three cars last minute. It's almost one o'clock in the morning. We drive from Denver to Billings through the night. Only four of us were, were old enough to actually drive the vehicle. So we decided to try to keep each other awake and get to Billings. It was some of the most fruitful time that we had on the entire trip. The conversations had during the drive from Denver to Billings where it was absolutely amazing. And um, it was just amazing to see that God went before us, that he was not surprised by our circumstance. And that through that, we experienced a move of God, that somehow there were three vehicles, they had the exact amount of seats available uh, to us as a team coming back. And people got back a little bit later than they were supposed to get back, but nobody missed what they were supposed to go to. And I just love that Jesus moves on our behalf. He goes before us. Our option uh, was to either sit down and sulk or we were going to figure out a way to get home. And he went before us and he helped us provide a way home. Mark chapter 16 goes on to say in verses six through seven, as the uh, women get to the tomb, they meet an angel there and said, who are you looking for? Uh, Jesus isn't here. And then we see a conversation between this angel and the women. He says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There's that. He goes before us again. There you will see him just as he told you, just as he told you. So I think a question that we need to ask ourselves is, are we willing to be redirected? Are we willing to be redirected? These two women were going to anoint a body and instead were called to be the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Women weren't even allowed to be witnesses in court at that time, but God was asking them to be the first witnesses of the single greatest event in human history. Do you think that God might take a little bit of pride in stirring the pot and destroying human parameters? I do. The lesson that we can glean from this is that sometimes we'll be in the midst of doing something and God is going to ask us to pivot. And we can either be alarmed and stay stuck, or we can be people who are willing to adjust. So often it's hard for us to be doing something that we feel like God is asking us to do. And he's like, hey, like you're on the right track, but I need you to move just a little bit. I need you to pivot. And so we just need to become people who are willing to do just that. Sometimes we're going to be asked to go from little to big. And sometimes we're going to go 
we're going to be asked to step back from what seems to be something that's really big and God's going to say, hey, I need something little to, to be put in place before this big miraculous thing can happen. And either way, this goes back to last week and being people who have eternal perspective, that we'd be people who say his will, not ours, no matter what that looks like. We need to be able to step back and say, is this decision for me in the, in the momentary or is this decision going to be beneficial for the kingdom of God or for the people around me in the long term? So we need to be people who have eternal perspective and we have to be willing to step out of the big thing to do the little thing or step up out of the little thing and do the big thing that God is asking us to do. We need to be people who are willing to be redirected. So what's really interesting is that the next 10 verses of Mark are actually disputed as to whether or not they belong in the gospel of Mark. Um, So the earliest manuscripts don't have the next 10 verses. And so uh, naturally what we're going to do to finish our series in the book of Mark is that we're going to jump over to the gospel of Luke. And what I love about the gospel is that it's not just one account of Jesus's life, that we actually have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they coincide so well and they work seamlessly together. But these are four men who write very distinct accounts of the life of Jesus, but we can always cross-reference them with another one. So even if the last 10 verses of Mark don't belong in there, um, what we have is a cross-reference here to Luke who continues the story. So we're going to jump into Luke chapter 24, verses 9 through 12. And it says, when they came back from the tomb, They told all these things to the eleven and to all the other disciples. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary of Mother of James, and others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, there's not a huge big application point that I want to pull out of this, but more of uh, some contextual points. So often people will say that the the resurrection story of Jesus um, could be fabricated, that it could be fiction, and there are a lot of different reasons, but there are three reasons that I want to point out on why that is very, very unlikely. First of all, one that we've kind of already talked about is that women were not even considered to be reliable witnesses. Culturally, it would make absolutely no sense for the disciples to write down the account of the resurrection of Jesus and have the women be the discoverer of the tomb because so many people in their context, so many people in their culture would have discredited the story almost on the spot because women were not reliable witnesses. Secondly, the disciples gained absolutely nothing from the story. Like maybe some momentary uh, relief because they had given so many years of their lives to the message of Jesus and maybe they could try to justify themselves, but why would they die if it was a lie? Not very many people are willing to die for something they know not to be true. And what we understand is that after the resurrection of Jesus, life actually got a little bit harder or a lot bit harder um, for the disciples. That they went from following a rabbi who was gaining traction in the world and being elevated to being men who were pursued and eventually murdered, many of them, because of their belief that Jesus was who he said he was. Paul... Uh, gets met by Jesus and has this transformation story. And when he decides to follow Jesus, when he decides to start spreading the gospel, he actually is taken from a position of prestige into a position of being fearful for his life and being in prison time and time again. So why would Paul be willing to step down from a position of prestige in their culture, in their religious customs, to do something else? 
They wouldn't do that if he did not believe it wholeheartedly. He would not die for what he believed. And third, we have to remember that these were mostly fishermen, that they were unschooled, ordinary men, as Scripture puts it. It would be quite a story, quite a fabrication for a bunch of some ordinary men. These were not educated men. These were not highly influential men. It would be quite the story for them to come up with. So women were not considered to be reliable witnesses. They really didn't gain anything at all from telling the story this way, and they were unschooled and ordinary men. So it would make no sense for this to be a fabricated fiction. So jumping out of that, contextualizing and talking about the actual story that happens after this, this moment where Jesus shows up to the disciples. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 39 says, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do, you, why do your doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Startled and frightened are not words that I would use to describe a group of people that were expectant. You see, for them, the battle had been lost. The king that they were following, this Messiah, had died. And now they are hiding, wondering what could possibly come next. They were worried for their own lives. There were so many things going on in their heads. And then Jesus shows up. And I think that what that shows us is this, is that Jesus works in the unexpected. Jesus thrives in the unexpected. In the story of Jesus, there are so many places where it says that he hid the meaning of certain things from the disciples, especially when it came to his death and resurrection. And I've always wrestled with that. I've always understood, like, why would he keep that meaning from them? Why, like, why wouldn't he just be like, this is exactly what's going to happen? That when he said, like, hey, the Messiah is going to be taken into captivity, he's going to be crucified, but after three days he's going to raise, why would he hide that from his disciples. And then when I read the next two verses, I was like, maybe this is why. Luke chapter 24, verses 40 through 41. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he then asked them, is there anything to eat? Joy and amazement are the two words that I want to focus on. Joy and amazement. They were in awe of what was happening They were flabbergasted that the Messiah was back. They saw him hang on a tree. They saw him die a brutal death. They saw him be put in a tomb. And now he was standing before them, flesh and bone, asking for something to eat. You see, if they would have understood every single thing that Jesus said, they would have been checking their watches for his return, not been blown away with joy and amazement at what was happening before them. I think that we need to be people who live for the unexpected, that we wouldn't just sit around waiting for Jesus to do what we want him to do, but that we would have faith that God is going to show up in ways that we cannot possibly believe. I think that we need to be people who pray for big, ridiculous, unexpected things from God, that we would not pray meek prayers, that we would not pray small prayers, but we would pray big, incredible things. And we say, I don't even think I expect this to happen. This seems outside of the realm of possibility. But I can confidently say that our God lives outside of the realm of possibility. He is not 
put in a box. He is not constrained to what we believe could happen. He is God. He hung the the stars in the sky, and he's the same God who steps into our individual situations. So we would be people who are filled with joy and amazement as Jesus works through the unexpected. We hope that you are having a fantastic week. Uh, We are meeting in person, so if you want to hang out, please head over to our Instagram, College Age MVMT. Click the link and see what is going on the next couple weeks at College Age. If you are listening to this uh, the week of July 21st, uh, next week we are going to be doing a surf project with the Women and Family Shelter through our local missions team. You can register to be a part of that surf project on our website. And then the following week on August 4th, we're going to have a big barbecue on the back lawn here at the church and have a catered dinner with volleyball, spike ball, all that kind of good stuff. So the podcast will be off for a couple weeks, but we hope that you are doing well and we hope to see you in person very, very soon. We love you guys.